0: Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Now, here are your hosts of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, Andrew Olson and Roy Jones.
1: Hey, this is Andrew Olson with the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Roy Jones. Hey, Roy, good afternoon.
2: Nice to be with you, Andrew. I appreciate uh, the time today. It's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, I'm excited today. So I've got Maya Hogberg with us. She's the president and CEO at Make-A-Wish Minnesota. And more than that, she's a good friend of mine. And she's also a former supervisor of mine. So at some point during our conversation, she may tell everybody about how terrible of an employee I was. <laughs> Maya. Maya, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, Andrew, you were awesome. But if I can come up with any little tidbits during this time, I certainly will share.
2: I hey, have my you. pen out. I want to, I want to write all these down, Maya, so so please share. Excellent. Yeah, well, my, my kids will want to listen to this. Finally, finally,
1: they'll have one of the episodes of the podcast they want to listen to.
3: <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us today, Maya. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you and, and really dig into some of your thoughts on leadership and what's going on in the industry. But before I do that, I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them a little bit about who you are and what you're doing at Make-A-Wish.
3: Absolutely. So I have been in the nonprofit space for about an equal amount of time as I was in the for profit space. So I started out of college working um, for Aveda, a uh, hair and skincare manufacturer, and a uh, very entrepreneurial company. Uh, worked for Campbell Mathune Advertising for 13 years, took a break to stay home with kids, and reemerged in the nonprofit sector. Uh, at Gillette Children's Specialty Healthcare, where I worked with Andrew, my most awesome annual giving person ever, Um, and then uh, worked for Fairview Health Services for about six years, and then I've been at Make-A-Wish as the president and CEO for the last four. Make-A-Wish serves the needs of critically ill kids, and my chapter covers the state of Minnesota. I have 59 other colleagues in the United States, Uh, Guam, and Puerto Rico, who are great resources for me. And together, we grant about 17,000 wishes each year for uh, kids with critical illnesses. And so that's an amazing mission to be a part of.
1: That's awesome. All right. Let's jump into this. So one of the things that I wanted to get your input on, because when you were at Gillette and at Fairview, you were primarily in a a role on the philanthropy side of the, the business for them, but now at Make A Wish, you're running the entire organization. So I'm, I'm curious to know what are the biggest challenges or, or learnings that you glean moving from a, a role that was primarily development and philanthropy focused to leading an entire organization now? Yes,
3: yeah, so uh, the buck really stops with me, and sometimes that's a great thing, and sometimes it's a challenging thing. So being in charge of everything, even things that you may not have as much interest in or affinity for. So things like legal, IT, HR, everything now rests with you. You know, if there are complaints from families or donors, those fall on you. And while they're rare, you're the one who has the final word on some of those things. So that can prove interesting, but it can also prove challenging. The other big change for me is really leading the board. So I did that at the Fairview Foundation, but I also have done a lot more of that here. And that's ever-changing. So it's a group of uh, people that have varied skills and varied needs. I try to ensure that the board members feel like partners in their role. So it's not just what can I extract from them, their time, their money, their connections, but instead what is it that they are most interested in, most connected with, what do they feel um, is most valuable, and I try and create a relationship. So each year I sit down for what I call my most caffeinated six weeks of the year and sit down and do a partnership agreement for the coming year with my board members. I currently have 21 board members. And so that's really about how do we create the partnership so that it's mutually beneficial for the coming year, and that has been a big change too. So when you're in charge and when you're leading the board, that's what takes up a lot of your time.
1: So I'm curious, that partnership agreement, is that something you do individually with each board member, or is that a a group activity?
3: No, I do it individually. So I meet them for breakfast, for lunch, for coffee, at their office, at their home, wherever they want, um, because it's really my time to get to know them better, to understand their motivations, to see what may have gone right or wrong in the previous year, and to kind of set the tone for the coming year.
1: That's interesting, now, Roy. I don't see that a lot in other
2: organizations. Do you? Well, you you try to, and I think it's very commendable, Maya, that you're that you're giving board members that kind of uh, of attention and, and making it a real priority. Uh, how many of them uh, help you in the development side of things? You know, that's that's kind of the the, the area of uh, the world I run in these days. Are there board members that help you make ask or solicit others for support?
3: So I would say 100% of them help us, but they help in various ways. We have some board members who are real comfortable being connectors. I would say very few of them actually want to be involved in the ask, even when we explain you're talking about your passion for the mission and what we do, we will do the hard and heavy lifting for you. But I would say 100% of them, and we we require that, we set our um, give-get expectations before they even start and join the board. So all of them support, but they support in various ways. They may be more involved with events. They may be involved as ambassadors speaking on behalf of our mission. They may work directly with kids. They may be on a committee. So we provide them a variety of ways that they can be involved with our mission.
1: I wanna ask something that we didn't talk about earlier, but I I think it's an important thing to, to talk about. When it comes to inviting new board members into your organization. I think oftentimes, especially at smaller organizations, we we sort of have this mentality of like, well, we'll take whoever we can get, right? Talk to us a little bit about how you approach sourcing candidates for your board and what kind of qualities and characteristics you look for.
3: Yes. Um, So I'm in the hunt for new board members right now. And (laughs) the way that we start that process is we look at the skill set of our current board members, who will be rolling off. So we have a number of people who have hit their six-year term limit this year. And so we start, and it's kind of a continuous process. I'm never not looking for board members. So we look at the skill sets that we have, and I describe it as kind of this beautiful mix of horizontal and vertical. So it may be that they are with a certain company, and we want to engage that company. Or it may be that we need another CPA, or we need an attorney, or we need an HR professional. So we're looking for both the skill set and the companies that we're not engaged with. And then, you know, I think it's kind of that magic mix of first and foremost for me. And uh, what I found is that these are the most successful board members, they have to have a passion for kids and our mission. They don't have to want to do five wishes personally each year. But they have to have some kind of connection that says, kids are important. We know that the power of a wish is in the hope that it brings. And if they don't have that, then I move on. (laughs) You know, so it's really important to set expectations up front and also to let them know, we've usually got more people applying for the positions than we have positions. So you may not get it. And if you're hungry for it, you can apply again next year. But we don't just take anyone who comes along. We try to cast are very, you know, kind of wide net to get the best people that are on our board. Smart.
1: I'm curious from a personal perspective, what, what's what been the most challenging aspect of the work that, that you've done over the last couple of years or, and or where do you feel like you've learned and grown the most uh, as you took over the leadership of Make-A-Wish?
3: It's been the surprises, uh, the constant change that have really kept me on my toes for the last four years. In my four years, we have moved to our gala twice. So we're ratting 500 here, uh, once after Prince died. So we were at Paisley Park. We were one of just a handful of nonprofit organizations granted to be able to use that space. And by the time the lawyers made a decision, we had two weeks to move 600 people. Wow. And so that is the time when you see the strength of your team, as they pull together or pull apart, uh, blessedly I have a team that pulled together and leaders really emerged during crises like that. So we ended up having it at a, a different venue, a venue we would not have selected as a first choice, but the power in that room and the power of the people that were there to support Wishes and Wish Kids was really amazing. I mean, it was palpable when I was sitting at the table um, when people were bidding on, on live auction items, doing the fund, the need. So that was, you know, I, I would say the surprises are what throws you. And then also just the constant change of the role, which makes it interesting, but also keeps it challenging. So, you know, with a board of around 20 to 25 at any given time, they are constantly changing jobs, staff of around the same size, some part-time, some full-time. There's always staff roles that need to be adjusted or people that uh, you need to move along or people that you need to bring in. And then just market dynamics and understanding that, for instance, the foundation initiatives by various companies in the Twin Cities, they've changed quite a bit over the years. So if we're going to lose that organization, who else do we bring in? So that constant change is what I'm always dealing with. It's never boring. Um, There's always a new challenge walking in the door. And so when you're the leader, you have to be able to roll with those, stay calm, lead your team through uncertainty, and really be pretty steadfast and, and, and solid, not react a lot to those because then you have a team that reacts equally um, vehemently.
1: I'd like to go a little bit higher level here. And I know you, you've got you know, a bunch of colleagues in the Make-A-Wish network across the country and, and probably globally. And I suspect you all are talking about things like this. So I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on what you feel like the the biggest challenges or, or the the topics that you're hearing most talked about sector wide right now. What's what's on the horizon in your mind?
3: I would say, as a as a quick note, I think figuring out the tax law implications and the impact of that. We've seen in our chapter, a lot of change in some of the smaller donors. So I think that's kind of the the throwaway answer. But I think the bigger answers are the work we do is so essential for the economy, for serving the needs of families, and that's consistent across so many of the nonprofits that I'm sure you work with, Andrew. I think having a fundamental understanding at core, knowing that we are worthy of support and investment, and being unapologetic that we need support to fulfill our mission. Hmm. Um, I think that is key. Uh, We should never apologize. We should invite people to be part of the joy of giving a wish. And so it's not something we need to apologize for. Second kind of key thing is burnout. Burnout is very real in the nonprofit segment. We continue to focus on ensuring that our pay and benefits are comparable to other nonprofits, but also looking at for profits, and then also finding ways to, ways to support the more stressful aspects of what we do. Now, it's important to know uh, one of the biggest misperceptions is that Make a Wish serves kids who have a terminal diagnosis, when in fact, oftentimes it's not a last wish, but instead is a lasting wish. So we think about two thirds of our children survive their diagnosis, hmm. and We want to ensure that that wish is as spectacular as it possibly can be, because we know that that is really life-changing for kids. But, you know, if we have two-thirds that survive, we know that we lose about a third of our kids. And that is very, very tough. I know when I started, the question I was afraid to ask was, how many funerals will I need to go to in this role? And I have gone to trouble. But you know what I found is this community really supports each other. We have volunteers that come in, you know, who who may be supportive. We had actually a resource from uh, Fairview where I used to work. They have a grief group called Youth Grief Services. They were able to provide some input and insight at a, a retreat that we just had for our Wish team. And so, really, how do we uniquely support each other? and kind of get through that so that we've got the resilience to go on and support those other families that need us.
1: That's big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, for some organizations, I mean, burnout definitely I think is a, is a really big deal across the sector. But when you start to think of, of organizations like yours and you know, hospitals and things like that, where they do have to oftentimes face the question of you know, how, how do we deal with, issues like death and and surviving you know caring for survivors and things like that uh it just becomes such a a more complicated and emotionally draining experience for staff i would would assume is is that is that correct
3: yes it really is and what's interesting is there are some some of our team who deal most directly with the families just want to hunker down have people leave them alone Hmm. and they don't want to talk about it and then there are others who really need to process we try and provide a lot of avenues for them to process and a lot of people for them to go to for that support. But just as with people, you know, um, people's reactions to death are very different and we try and respect that everybody has a different way of processing things. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: This whole issue of staffing, I mean, one thing uh, that that I was thinking about and of course your background, uh, you've done this personally and that's Moving, moving from the for-profit sector to the nonprofit sector talk to me about do you hire folks from the for-profit sector very often do they perform well talk to me about your experience there
3: we do hire for, we hire the best person for the, the job at any given time and sometimes that's for-profit people sometimes it's nonprofit people and I would say that those that are open to um, coming into a new environment do really well. And those that have a lot of preconceived notions about the pace or the work or the intensity of nonprofits, if they've got a lot of preconceived notions, sometimes they don't do as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say having worked at a for-profit and at nonprofits, that the pace is no different. It's just the intensity and um, kind of the work that's that's being done. So I think it's much more around the type of person and their personality than it is what industry they've been in.
2: What's your thoughts about hiring salespeople to do fundraising, frontline fundraising?
3: I think there are a lot of salespeople who've got really good chops and they want to do something that brings them some joy and satisfaction. So I'm not opposed to it. Um, I think they have to keep in mind that we're talking about kids here and we're not talking about widgets. And I think that brings value and in the sales process. But the two are not dissimilar. And, and so I think you've got to look at the person and their motivations. Why do they want to move into a nonprofit? But making, making the ask, understanding the pipeline, understanding that it's about connections and relationships, I think all of that is good. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, all those things still apply. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, Maya, while we're on the topic of,
1: of frontline fundraising, I'm, I'm curious to get your take and, and for, for our listeners to hear, you know, describe sort of the, the space that you personally occupy when it comes to philanthropy at Make-A-Wish. You know, are you actively involved in asks? Are you purely managing the team that does that? Like where, where does your role start and stop with respect to that?
3: So the thing that I love about my team is that I have really good, smart people in their roles. And so because I have strong leaders on the program side, which is wishes in the operations side and in the marketing and communications side, I'm able to jump in a little bit more on my sweet spot, which is fundraising. Now I have an outstanding uh, vice president of development. And so she and I coordinate a lot because we don't, we are not lacking for people that we want to uh, support us. So it's really making sure that we're in sync and that I'm not stepping on her toes or vice versa. I do a lot of over communicating with the team because there's always some natural connections. So for instance, we have somebody who works on corporate fundraising. A lot of times those might be my board members. And so we really make sure that we're careful that if we're asking an organization that she's telling me that so that I can talk to my board members and vice versa. We do a lot of sharing of that. I, spend a fair amount of time doing fundraising. You know, we're, we're raising money for our gala right now. And so it's kind of prime season for us. And a lot of that I do with board members. So it might, you know, I've got 21 board members, there's an expectation of their giving, but they are opening doors for us to their organizations. I also have a portfolio of major gift donors. And so I work with them. It, so it's, it's always kind of that making sure that I've got my foot in that. I like that. I enjoy that, but not ignoring the rest of the pieces of the business. So I'm usually in in flux doing more than one thing at a time.
1: The life of a CEO, right? There's never, never a dull moment.
3: Never. No.
1: Hey, I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about something that's maybe a little weightier. um, And that's the, this issue of, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the nonprofit sector. And I think you know these are, are issues that Roy and I have had a couple of conversations about. We've had other folks on the podcast talking about it. And it seems like there's a, a continued interest and, and a greater need for discussion around this topic. And I'm curious to get your perspective on what you think our sector is doing well in that space and, and where you think that there are still you know, significant needs for improvement.
3: So I'll talk uh, a little bit about our, our Make-A-Wish chapter first. Okay. Uh, we've made a number of improvements in the area. We do have a diversity and inclusion task force internally, and we have uh, one of our members on our national Make-A-Wish America task force. We have a equitable group of children across the state. So we cover all geographies, all cultures, all colors, all, you know, all – languages, um, and we're very proud of that. We wanna make sure that a wish is a wish is a wish, and it does not matter uh, where you live, or where you came from, or what part of the cities you live in, or what language you speak. We always want to make sure that we have a number of uh, groups that support those kids. So our staff, if you look at our staff, we have a diverse staff that's on par with the diversity of Minnesota. As you know, in Minnesota, We tend to not be as diverse as some of the other states. We also have three bilingual team members. So that helps a tremendous amount with our Spanish speaking families. We also have a former wish kid on staff. So she got a wish uh, when she was living in South Dakota growing up. And so that really adds an element of understanding uh, that I think is great. We have volunteers uh, that are from all different walks of life and can help us. Uh, We have specific people who help with our Somali and Hmong uh, wish kids and their families. Um, The places where we have some challenges are geographic diversity. So we execute wishes by sending teams of two or three volunteers to usually a wish child's home to suss out what the child's wish is. Underlined child's wish, we want to make sure that it's the child's wish, not mom's or dad's. And uh, so sometimes we have trouble getting to the Arrowhead or we might have trouble getting to uh, southwestern Minnesota. So we work actually across state lines with our South and North Dakota chapters as well as Wisconsin and Iowa. We have a little bit of um, sometimes the the harder languages to find um, translators for or volunteers for. So we had, for instance, a child who spoke Russian in Rochester and that one took a little bit longer. And then we also have some challenges with nonverbal kids. So I think sometimes when people talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, they only talk about someone's skin color or Mm -hmm. where they are from or what language they speak. Um, So differently abled kids, we're really working on increasing the volunteer understanding of those kids and how they might select a wish. So, we're really doing a lot with that. From a board diversity standpoint, that one has been challenging, but we've got some really great people on board teed up to to join in the future that represent not only cultural differences but also gender gender identity and uh, socioeconomic backgrounds as well. So, you know there's always work to be done. As far as the uh, segment as a whole, I do a lot of networking with other CEOs of nonprofits, and I think we all face the same challenges. You know, and there's always the danger of treating someone like a unicorn. You know, this person works for a big company, and they have a certain skin color, and you know, we're gonna take their word as representing the entire um, universe of that group mm-hmm. of people. And I think that's very dangerous. You know, uh, one person cannot speak for everyone, and uh, so we're trying to get more input from volunteers from wish families, from all of those kinds of things to kind of round out our understanding of how we can be more culturally sensitive.
1: Super helpful, thank you. So we're just approaching our time limit here together today but I, one last question for you before we let you go and that is what are you most excited about? Like what when you think of the next couple of years for the organization and the sector as a whole, what excites you?
3: You know, um, I love the fact that we are creating hope For kids. So a a wish, some people think a wish is just, you know, a sweet little eight-year-old child with cancer who goes to to Disney. And we do treat sweet little eight-year-old kids with cancer who go to Disney, but we, it's so much more than that. And it's so uh, more varied than that. So what we know is that a wish is not just a a single trip or, you know, a shopping spree at Mall of America. It's in fact, something that can change the trajectory of a child's life. So, we have uh, more research that's coming out every day. We had um, one study that came to us looking at kids who received wishes and those who did not. And the kids who received wishes had significantly uh, decreased medical hospitalization costs um, in the year following their wish. So, it's really something that creates almost life changing outcomes for people. We have a WISH kid who had osteosarcoma when she was a teen and her experience with the WISH and with the hospitalization inspired her to become a physician and she's now a, a medical advisor for us for the chapter for Minnesota and she works at St. Paul Children's in the same unit where she was treated with some of the same nurses. Wow. We all, wow. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We also had a young man who grew up near me in South Minneapolis watching the planes go over and wanted to be a pilot for the day. And so he was inspired, never thought he could become a pilot, but after that wish went on and is now a pilot for Delta. So these are long-term impacts for kids. So that is really exciting. And you know, more and more research is telling us that it's not just a nice to have, but it actually changes kids' lives. And then we also have the 40th anniversary of Make-A-Wish coming up. So we started uh, nationally in 1980, and so we'll be celebrating on April 29th with Disney. And um, you know, we only do 225 wishes at any given time. That's what we'll be doing this year because we want to make sure that we have enough to keep, you know, to keep uh, liquidity appropriate for our chapter. But we know there's 450 wish kids in Minnesota that could qualify. So I think this gives us a platform to really move forward and say to people, come be part of us, you know, be a volunteer, support us, have your organization support us. So I think that is really exciting as well.
1: Yeah, that that is exciting. I'm fascinated by this outcomes data that you're talking about because I, I've never heard before you shared it that a child who experiences a wish opportunity that that it actually positively impacts their, their medical condition and and their length of stay and those kind of things. I mean, that's the kind of data, you know, as I'm thinking about how we talk to donors and how we prove our value as organizations and as fundraisers, you know, I I would have thought up until an hour ago that the, the value that you propose to a donor is we're going to grant these wishes and it's going to be a great experience for these children and you can, go home or or go to bed tomorrow, tonight, knowing that you did this, and it made a positive impact on that child's emotional well-being, not even thinking that, hey, some of the outcomes data that we might see would lead us to believe that it might also have a physical implication, which is just fascinating to me.
3: Yeah, and you know, there's there's more data being done, and it's not something that Make-A-Wish is sponsoring, but there's data being done just looking at what we know anecdotally, when parents say, you know what, my You know, my child went on this wish and they're actually feeling better. Or, you know, even the first wish, which was Chris Gracious's wish down in Arizona, and uh, he had leukemia and his mom and a few friends got together and put together this experience for him to be an Arizona State police officer. He got to ride in a helicopter. He got to go on a chase. He got a miniature uniform. And when she took him back to the doctor on Monday, the doctor said, I didn't think he'd be here. Now, Chris did die, but it shows the power of kids having something to look forward to and families being together and celebrating together. And I think that is the power of Make-A-Wish.
1: That's awesome. Maya, thank you for being here today. Thanks for sharing with us your insights and and observations on the the sector and on Make-A-Wish. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, has questions or wants to follow up, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch?
3: Uh, Yeah, send me an email, mhoagberg, H-O-A-G-B-E-R-G, at mn.wish.org.
1: Awesome, thanks again for being here with us, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, brought to you exclusively by Newport One. Newport One can make a difference in your fundraising so that you can change the world. You can always reach us at podcast at newportone.com. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.